listening to The Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM. Glad you could join us. My name's Rory here with you until 7pm on this uh, Sunday evening. It's been a glorious day. Hope you're all enjoying it. Hope you're listening to this out in the back garden, enjoying the rest of the sunshine. As Colin was mentioning a bit earlier, rain tomorrow and for the next few days. So hope you're enjoying uh, the sunshine this evening and listening to the Big Red Bench out in the sun. Um, just to get you up to date on everything that's been happening today, um, the Ulster football final between Donegal and Derry uh, has gone to extra time. It finished one twelve apiece after 70 minutes after the first half of extra time. It's one thirteen apiece. You could cut the atmosphere with a knife up there. It's not exactly the best game of football you're ever going to see in your life, but it is certainly engrossing. But it's one thirteen a piece there. Uh, elsewhere today, um, Galway, the Connacht Senior Football Champions, they beat Ross Common two nineteen to two sixteen. Carroll beat Tipperary in the Talton Cup. Westmead beat Leash, awfully uh, winners over Wicklow today in the uh, Championship playoff. Nottingham Forest a goal up on uh, Huddersfield in the uh, final at Wembley today. And uh, big shouts there for a penalty for Huddersfield. And looks like it has not been given. He's been uh, yellow carded for diving, whichever Huddersfield player that is. Uh, but it's uh, 1-0 to Nottingham Forest there. 72 minutes on the clock to leave a Colwell own goal. There is the difference between the sides. Uh, big news today. Ralph Ranick's two-year consultancy with Manchester United has been scrapped. His ties at the club will end as he takes over the Austrian national team. And Eric Ten Hag resumes, assumes control at Old Trafford. Red Bull driver Sergio Perez has won the Monaco Grand Prix today. He finished ahead of Ferrari's Carlos Sainz after an eventful race. Two red flags. Uh, a lot of rain there today, which caused the first red flag. Second one was uh, a pretty bad crash with that Mick Schumacher. Max Verstappen finished third hometown boy Charles Leclerc was fourth Victor Perez has won a playoff to be crowned the winner of this year's Dutch Open the Frenchman beating Ryan Fox in New Zealand in the extra holes in the Netherlands Fox uh, double bogeying the last without Perez the chance to force the playoff uh, they're looking at VAR actually for this incident uh, in uh, Huddersfield and Forest uh, the uh, Huddersfield player was a judge to have dived the referee booked him um, and it has been yeah it's that is stands it was uh, a dive there so no penalty there for Huddersfield but um, 73 minutes gone on the clock there Novak Djokovic is through to the quarterfinals of the French Open it's uh, Djokovic who beat uh, Diego Schwarzman today of Argentina in straight sets uh, this afternoon 6-1 6-3 6-3 now he's going to face uh, the winner of uh, Rafa Nadal and Felix Auger Aliassime it was uh, Ali Asim who took the first set 6-3 Nadal battling back to take the second and third sets 6-3-6-2 uh, Asim is a game to love up there in the fourth set and so it'll be interesting to see what happens there and in the women's draw the American Coco Goff reaching the quarterfinals for the second year in a row she eased past Elise Martins in straight sets and in racing legendary flat jockey Lester Pickett has died at the age of 86 Pickett won the Epsom Derby record nine times and rolled over 5,000 winners worldwide uh, the second half extra time is back underway Derry uh, 113 Donegal 113 can be posted on that uh, going to go live to Paris now to talk to Dylan O'Connell first though going to hear very briefly from um, Liverpool boss Jurgen Klopp um, speaking after last night's uh, defeat and uh, he says he's uh, very very proud of his players efforts 
Is it possible at game 63 or 64, whatever, play your absolute best football? I don't know, but I saw a lot of good things. Like my team was full of desire, full of passion. We tried really hard and you don't get the reward. That's part of the game. Right, for more on uh, Real Madrid's victory in the Champions League final last night, joined live now from Paris by our good buddy, Dylan O'Connell. Dylan, how are you, buddy? Yeah, good now, a little bit tired, but uh, good after last night's game. <laughs> um, we'll get to what happened off the pitch in a bit, but I just want to talk about the match first. Um, not a classic by any means, Dylan. Um, Liverpool very off form, uh, and Real Madrid dogged, did their job and got the win. Yeah, like I was only looking at the stats last night after the game, and Liverpool had 23 attempts, and, uh, 23 attempts. Uh, Real Madrid only had three in the whole game. And like, I watched back some of the highlights, and like Madrid just basically packed themselves in behind the ball. They didn't give Liverpool any space. They played for the counter, and like when they did counter, they always put the Vinicius Junior. What does Vinicius Junior do best? He scores, and that's what happened. It was a clinical job by, I suppose, one of the greatest coaches in the history of European football. Liverpool, um, as I mentioned, and just off form, off the ball completely. Um, maybe I suppose their 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 season having a bit of an effect on them. They've played every game it's possible to play in this season. They must have been exhausted going into last night's game. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like even like emotionally as well. Like they were chasing Man City down since January. Like I suppose in the last couple of weeks, it was like waiting for Man City to drop points. It was a neck and neck bottle neck and neck race for the title I know they did it back in 2018-19 but they didn't have an FA Cup to worry about they didn't have to have a League Cup to worry about so like I think it was the second most games they've ever played in their season because I think it was in 84 it was in 84-85 in the 80s when the League Cup used to be two legs was the most but I can still know like it was that must have been an incredibly draining season for them um, it's unfortunate as well for Liverpool that they came up against uh, a goalkeeper who had the game of his life last night in Courtois it's quite fun because I'm pretty sure Porto always gets mad at the match he plays in the <laughs> I remember back in 2015 during like, the League Cup semi-finals he was inspired that night to, uh, during was it a one-all draw in Stamford Bridge or in Anfield one or the other but like last night there was that save when the ball was flicked to Salah and Salah flicked it towards goal there was the one, kind of one-on-one situation with long ball with the Salah who denied Salah it was just you know you see a goalkeeper at the top of their game like Ochoa back in the 2014 World Cup against Brazil from Mexico he was just one of the all-time great goalkeeping performances and up front as well, um, they never really got going, Liverpool, I suppose. That is, as you mentioned, Real Madrid's game plan. They were very well organised. They're two banks of four at the back. But just up front, they couldn't get anything going. And when they did, Courtois was there. Yeah, like, I suppose one of the things I was thinking about with Liverpool is they all, they're lacking a very, like, out-centralised number nine. Like, you know, City never signing Haaland. They also have Alvarez coming from River Plate. Well, if you look at, like, Germany, they have Lewandowski to throw on. Even if you look at PSG, they have a carry to bring up top. If Raymond aren't playing well. They did well. This was they have Benzema, who was it out at number nine, and like Liverpool just don't seem to have that. Like they're putting crosses into the box, but Raymond were so compressed, they were just able to kind of like swat it away. So the, the, the forward line never got going. Like I think there was a, the only big chance I could I can remember apart from Salah's one on one was he tried to curl the ball. He tried to curl the ball into the top corner or was it the bottom corner, and like Portwood dived up to get his hands to it. Mm. Like that was the only kind of like, was a big chance for Salah along with the one on one. He was very quiet last night. Yeah, it's just one of those games. Um, Carlo Ancelotti, though, Dylan, the job he's done with Real Madrid is it's something else and he deserves all the, the plawless that will come his way. Yeah, it was a big victory for him and Everton as well to a certain extent. <laughs> like, that was kind of the big, in the press area, he, he was laughing. He was like, uh, so he mentioned, someone mentioned Everton and he just started laughing. But like, even he said it himself Friday in the press conference how he was hoping Everton would get behind 
uh, Everton fans get behind Real Madrid. But, like he's possibly the most underrated coaches in European football. I think Guardiola's name dominates the conversation, but like the man has won. He's in the Grand Slam. He's won all five leagues. He's won four Champions Leagues. He also is not two as a player as well. So like mm. he's and he's only in his early sixties as well. He still has a good bit to go as a coach. Um, the talk today, Dylan, is that Sadio Mane is um, on the way to Bayern Munich. Um, how true is that from your kind of, I suppose, your discussion? I suppose that with the, the the British media last night, and if he does go, is this kind of the beginning of the end for this current li- Liverpool team and the start of a rebuilding job for Jurgen Klopp? What was quite interesting last night was after the game. So when the full time whistle went, we all were straight down to the mix area, and Liverpool players started to trick the game straight away. Uh, Salah, Mane, Firmino, uh, they. They never just didn't turn up. Henderson, like the entire squad, bar the goalkeepers Van Dyke and forward line, didn't turn up. I thought it was quite strange the fact that like Manning never said anything, and like Liverpool players weren't talking, which was quite a strange because I remember even back when we lost the final key in twenty eighteen. You're seeing stuff on social media. You know they were quite engaging with the media. Like the only people who spoke really were Henderson and Milner, and even at that point they didn't talk about the side of Manning. And that was overshadowed, I think, by what happened outside the ground, and that kind of took away from the, the discourse. What did happen outside the ground, Dylan, from like from your gatherings and, and from what you were hearing and stuff and what you were seeing in the ground? Because we saw a lot on social media, there were some pretty horrific scenes uh, involving tear gas and pepper spray on Liverpool fans and, and massive queues outside for them to get in. So what was it like being there at the time and kind of what have you been hearing since? So it's been, it, was, it was quite surreal because I got to the ground about half four in the afternoon and it was quite quiet. But like whatever way was positioned, if you got like the main metro line, you'd have to come off and then walk. You'd have to walk as about a kilometre, then go underneath a tunnel and then take a right and walk up towards the stadium. But then they were trying to search everyone individually. And like what was quite strange about it was they were trying to search 20,000 people individually. And like they were quite aggressive even like, in handling. But like I suppose the, uh, after your 2020, things like that, I feel like they're, they're, they might just get a lot more aggressive with these things anyway. But I'd say around half six, I think, when people, you know, when the big crowds are heading towards the game, they're all kind of shepherded into kind of one area, which been the tunnel and up towards the tunnel and up towards the stadium. And from my understanding, it was like you basically had three doors for twenty thousand people, and they all they were all being searched individually. And like that is a recipe for disaster, especially when people are being stood there for, for let's say, both three hours or two hours training in for the match, and especially because it gets closer and closer to the kickoff. And by that point, it was really poor stewarding. When I'm seeing, like, Miguel Delaney was giving out about it on Twitter, some of Jonathan Wilson, some of the journalists who kind of came in like, just before me. But like, even before I was in the, the media area, you could walk out and actually see it, of, like, basically people were, like, be pinned up against the fences to a certain extent. And then other people were hopping over the fence and trying to run into the ground and trying to get tackled by stewards. You also had locals as well. From what we were told, this is her- this is hearsay, this is also reported on social media. Of locals trying to force their way, force their way in. They were also complaining that people had fake tickets. Like when I mentioned Andy Robertson, he came out to talk about the game. One of his friends had like a player issue ticket, and they wouldn't allow him in, saying it was fake. And he was like, "My friend is Andy Robertson." <laughs> Andy Robertson defended him in the in the mix zone. So like it was absolutely paranoid. People said there were tear gas, there was mace. Was it a DW reporter went down to see what was going on, and he got tear gas. He was trying to videotape what was going on. Even afterwards. Was it Jason McAteer said you know before the mark the end that his wife got mugged and his child got attacked like it was a very grim night off the pitch and that kind of dominated a lot of the post discourse about Liverpool. Yeah, it certainly did. It certainly dominated the night. The game was delayed by thirty six minutes um, because of the crush and because Camilla Cabello had to had to perform, even though she got roundly booed. Her reaction when she um, finished performing, Dylan, was amazing. She just kind of looked around in puzzlement as to as if to say, "Why are all these people booing me?" 
I always find it quite funny, like when people try to like when people from let's say different parts of the world experience like I suppose European football. Like when you ever see like videos of like Americans who follow NFL watching like Red Star Belgrade versus Partizan for shot. And I feel like the same there when it's a bit like I think at that point with the game delayed by half an hour, no one was really interested in the pre show. They just wanted the game to start. Yeah. Even people have been out in twenty four degree heat all day drinking, they just wanted the game to start. And I suppose it does add that level of tension when you know there is crowd trouble outside. So I think that that kind of just increased everything. And I'm pretty sure Real Madrid have their own issues with UEFA, either to do with Mbappe or to do with the whole Super League thing. They're a weird club in terms of like internal politics. So like, you a lot of that factor into it as well. Exactly. Yeah. And then when you were leaving the ground, was it kind of a weird atmosphere? Um, how safe did you feel? And were you able to get out safely? Uh, so I, I was in the stadium until about twenty past two in the morning. On we to wait until we to wait I think, until Modric finished up in the mix zone. So once we finished up at that, I was I was with some English tabloid journalists and one of them was saying that there was a report on social media that people were getting pepper sprayed at the fan zone that there was trouble or something. And that uh, so we were all kind of like a bit apprehensive with that. And then if a few people were saying like there was a possibility we could get attacked, then you're seeing the social media people are getting attacked. So when I left, I went down the steps, I saw I'd say it was at least five kind of police vans. I saw about ten at least six to ten people getting arrested. So there was all that going on and there was like a huge crowd around. And like when you're seeing what's going on on social media, I didn't feel safe, being brutally honest. So I hopped into a taxi. I was like, I need to get out of here. I don't want to be around here. And you're a guy, you got out anyway, and that's the important thing. Overall, Dylan, um, experience-wise, for you to attend your first Champions League final and your first Champions League final as a journalist, what was it like? I mean, like, can you put into words, I suppose, the, the experience that you had over the last few days? Incredible. Just genuinely incredible. Like, I suppose if anyone knows me, I cover games for extra time, the 42, the Echo, and like I, I suppose Irish football is my bread and butter. So like getting the go for the Champions League final is like, I suppose it's like life in the past. Say life in the past. Playing like was it Monday? I was at the Beamish Stout Senior Cup final <laughs> between Cottage Corinthians and Douglas Hall. And Friday I was in a room with um, Marcelo Courtois and and Carlo and Jalapi. So you're kind of like you're like okay, these are people for years I've you know, played as a FIFA. I've watched <laughs> on the television. Courtois is very tall as well. Even like. Was it Friday, I think? I was right next to Modric, and it was like, okay, Modric, he's actually nearly the same height as me. Which is, but like you're kind of seeing people, I suppose you've seen so many years on television, but like again, I've worked in this now for seven years, so like you don't kind of get that starstruck thing, so you have to get a job done. But like it's it's a very, I suppose, adren- high pressure and, and adrenaline, because like you've so much, it was the loudest thing I've ever experienced in sports. Mm. So trying to write your report, but figure out what's going on. But trying to, like I was doing minute by minute blogs for the for extra time in the Irish Independent, so like, I was trying to get both of those done. While wall and eyes, you don't know what's exactly going on because you don't have a commentary. Trying to figure out the offside rule, I think four of us were on the monitor at one stage. So no, it was totally utterly surreal. With the best experiences of my life. Excellent, Dylan. Appreciate you talking to us from Paris. Uh, safe trip home. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Rory. Thank you very much indeed, Dylan. Dylan joining us live there from Paris, uh, covering the Champions League last night. An incredible experience for Dylan to be there. And I know his Liverpool fans was left a little bit disappointed uh, with the result last night. Not a great game of football by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but uh, Real Madrid, the champions after last night's uh, game in Paris. Uh, all over, Derry are the uh, Ulster champions for the first time since 1998. They've beaten Donegal after extra time. one sixteen. To 114 was how they finished their full time whistle has just gone. Nottingham Forest still a goal up in Huddersfield, 85 minutes on the clock there. All right, we are going to talk boxing. Um, disappointment last night 
for uh, our man Spike uh, in um, New York as he lost out uh, to Iris uh, Landa Lara. Uh, stopped in the eighth round. Um, Lara just uh, cut above Spike last night. Um, Spike, as he always is, absolutely game, teak tough and kept coming forward but uh, Lara just he's just a wily operator southpaw tricky and uh, just caught Spike and Spike lucky to get out of the 7th round and started the 8th round referee had seen enough and uh, that was that but Spike can certainly hold his head high after that performance Kev Byrne is the boxing correspondent with the Irish Sun I got a chance to speak to Kev earlier today Alright, for more on, on Spike's defeat last night, we're joined by our good friend Kev Byrne of the Irish Sun. Um, Kev, um, first off, I just think Spike deserves a tremendous amount of credit for taking this fight on late notice, uh, getting in there with a, a fighter uh, of that quality uh, and lasting eight rounds with him. Like always, you know, Spike O'Sullivan is not afraid of a challenge. He doesn't run from one. And the guys he's lost to have been kind of some of the best fighters in the world and he's always willing to go and take on those fights. No, no one ever gave Spike O'Sullivan a handy one, did they? No. Um, you know, even his biggest home win, home win in Ireland, beating Anthony Fitzgerald, but it was in the Point Theatre, a mile from Fitzgerald's home. This was a daunting challenge. I think everybody nearly winced when they heard Spike is going in against uh, Eris Landy Lara, great Cuban fighter, top southpaw, and he did. He did. I'm sure he did better than a lot of people expected too. Like he was, he was competitive in rounds. You could see, the, you could see the golf in class. I'm sure Spike won't mind me saying it. Um, you know, Lara's, Lara's operating just at a level above where probably any Irish boxer is at, you know. And mm-hmm. um, but Spike had opportunities as well. He had opportunities, and he, he landed a lot of shots on uh, Lara's bo- Lara's body. But he's a he's a tough guy himself, and I think he probably, you know, we heard uh, Pascal Collins going into the Spike's final round. We heard Spike's uh, coach Pascal Collins saying. In more colourful language than I'll say, but you know, <laughs> never mind your, never mind your ears, never mind your eye. You know, go out in your shield. So he clearly, he knew his boxer was hurt, and he knew the game was nearly up as well. So yeah, I suppose there's no overall sense of disappointment, isn't it, Rory? And uh, tiredness as well. The fight took place at five a.m. for us Irish people watching <laughs> yeah. it, like so. Yeah, because I was up since about three o'clock waiting for the fight and waiting for the fight and then it finally happened and been hanging now all day, drinking coffee all day, trying to get through it. Yeah. But, um, Spike did take a lot of punishment. Lara found uh, a lot of joy with that straight left on the pipe and, and Spike just, I suppose, didn't know how to deal with that, I guess. Uh, like, it's not really Spike's game to to faint and, you know, he's, he's mm. slipping shots and, and trying to bob and find his way in. But, yeah, it was just difficult to, difficult to really time Lara. He just had to be content to you know, tracked her forward a little bit and landed shots. And, you know, he, he did get opportunities to do it, like I said. You know, he, he did land a lot of body shots. And, and I was watching and thinking, OK, he's probably lost nearly every round. But I was there was there were glimmers in the seventh round when I was thinking, Lara's, a le- Lara's letting him hit him here a, b- a bit. And if just one of these shots gets in a bit sneaky, you never know. We could have a new world champion uh, having his hand raised just because of a... Mm. Not, not a lucky shot, absolutely not a lucky shot. But Lara's almost getting complacent and allowing Spike to land the shots. And, you know, was just really hoping one of those would just land on one of the ribs and Lara would suddenly go down and his world would cave and, uh, you know, Spike Spike would pull it off. Like, But, yeah, he, at the, he Spike was knocked out on his feet nearly at the end of that seventh round, wasn't he? And to go back yeah. out in the eighth round, I think he only lasted a couple of seconds and took another big shot and that was, that was it. Yeah, the referee did a good job there, didn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, he could see. He could see. He probably was reticent to even allow the fight to continue. He, Spike was probably saved by the bell in the seventh round. He was he was definitely hurt. And he just had a, he just had a really good round. But um, yeah, I mean, this is Lara's business, isn't yeah. it? He's a sharpshooter. Spike's almost too tough for his own good, isn't he? He's an animal, isn't he? Mm. He's absolutely an animal. Like he, he loves it. He loves fights like that. And you know, he said he said prior to the fight that he would have hated to fight Lara ten years ago because he he danced. He would have ducked and danced around the ring, and Spike might have got a chance to really go to war with him. But last night, you know, Lara has slowed down. Lara does like to to scrap a lot more. And that was, you know, it was a good. It was a good way to fight Spike as well. It made for a good action fight. Um, but yes, Spike is he's a he's a tough guy. Yeah, and I'm sure he'll want to continue. Um, like many fighters, you know, he 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 won't know when time is up. Uh, someone will probably have to tell Spike when he's about fifty six years old. Spike, <laughs> I think, uh, I think enough's enough. Like you know, yeah, that's the next thing I was going to ask you. I mean, like, uh, when is it going to be enough for Spike? And as you kind of alluded to there, I don't think he will stop, but maybe he should. I'm not entirely sure, but it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Uh, anytime I spike, anytime I speak to Spike or his coach Pascal Collins, they kind of nearly hint that Spike's prime is yet to come, and it'll you know it'll take place in about five or six years down the line. You know that's mm-hmm. when he's really going to be at his best. Uh, he's super fit, super strong, but obviously has fallen short now at that level of boxing, the elite level, on five occasions now. Like like against fighters that you know nightmare guys, you know some of them like Liam Mew punches like an absolute donkey. Yeah. Like a, in a, in a good way, and uh, <laughs> or kicks like ass. Uh, you know, Chris Eubank Jr. was on his way up, yeah. absolute. You know, a powerhouse. Tricky southpaws like um, Lara and Billy Joe Saunders. You know, he's he's really gone in against the uh, the best of the best at that level. Um, there's there's still a there's still an awful lot of money to be made out of Spike's career if people want to make it. He still has big purses on the line out there in America. He's got options in Ireland. He's got options in America. Last night won't have really diminished his. Mm chances at earning those so it's just I guess when is he when is he fully satisfied say look I bought the ticket I took the ride I put myself out there you know I fought all over the world even going to Mexico going to Texas to fight Jamie Munguia Mm. the Mexican you know like that's a that's a cauldron and he went and he did it and he attempted it and uh, he's, he's he's tried everything but that's his first world title shot and maybe maybe there's an option to have another one down at 154 pounds I heard uh, talk of that before the before the fight took place last night, mm. and I think there was it was kind of said even if even if Spike loses this shot, there's a world title shot from there at 154. Um, but there's killers at that division, you know. There's there's a lot of young guys, hungry lions, and um, mm. so yeah, there's, there's no easy way at this stage of boxing. At that level, we've seen it now on five times. You step up to that level, and there are guys there just willing to take you out. Mm. Exactly, yeah, that's Spike anyway, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with um, Spike's career. Kev, just while I have you, I just want to talk about Amy Broadhurst and Lisa Rourke and their incredible achievements um, at the World Championships. It's absolutely phenomenal to see two Irish medals in the space of a half an hour, basically. It was just an incredible moment, wasn't it? What a, what an hour it was, or what a half an hour it was, yeah. Um, probably Amy Broadhurst, you know, she would have had her backers going into that tournament. People would have known how good she was. Watched her in the past, a multiple medal winner across uh, across Europe and underage levels, and you know it was it's her time, it's her time to shine. Lisa O'Rourke, a bit more of a surprise package. Her sister, obviously, in a European champion, Olympian. Lisa O'Rourke herself won the European under twenty two. It was only back in March, but to go and win a world title at your first um, at your first attempt is astounding, and to wait to do it the way she did, mm. really composed, great footwork. 
uh, not bullied or anything. She was, the, you know, she was the she could do it every way. She could fight on the back foot. She could be the aggressor, come forward. And same as Broadhurst. Um, I guess there are two more kind of people that you can give a lot of credit to their club coaches. Absolutely, 100%. And also Zorantia at the Irish team as well. He's created, you know, there's two more universal boxers, his favourite types. They can do it every way. Win forward, win going backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, brilliant. The credit to them. And, you know, the guys are going well at the European Championships as well, as you know. Mm-hmm. Over in uh, Yerevan, mm. I think um, you have the same feelings that I do. In that, it was it was frustrating that RC didn't broadcast the fights and then wheel them out on the late H on Friday night. Ah, stop! Entirely predictable, wasn't yeah, it? Um, it was. It appears that there's an appetite. There is an appetite for boxing in this country. We know mm-hmm. it, but it appears on the national broadcasters and there's an uh, there's an appetite to hear the boxers talk about the glory that they achieve, but not to show them achieving that same yeah. glory. And it's it's very disappointing. Uh, they seem to have pulled out the major tournaments in 2016. I don't think boxing fans, I think boxing fans are realistic. We're not expecting the national broadcaster to show the entire European championships or world championships. Yeah. We know, you know, these are long events. You could end up having a, a show that lasts six hours, you know, to show four Irish fighters in action. We know that it, to be realistic, maybe show the semifinals or just the finals, show something. Mm-hmm. And none of it has taken place right now. And it's all kind of since, since Katie Taylor left the amateur game, they, they've, they must've said, all right, we have to show Katie. <laughs> we'll no longer show it now. You know, there's nothing really there for us anymore. But since Katie Taylor has uh, turned professional, we've had three more female world champions. None of them got airtime winning those world titles. Kelly Harrington, uh, Amy Broadhurst and Lisa O'Rourke. And we know that there's an appetite to hear from them, to, to glory in their achievements because they're on the national shows. They're on the, mm. the late, late. They're, they'll be on Tommy Tiernan next week if they're invited. You know, they're, they'll be on Nationwide. How did you do it? How did mm. you achieve this glory? And uh, but you know there's no there's no airtime for them and it's it's disappointing because for some boxers um, this is the best they'll ever achieve they might get to go to the Olympics like like Lisa O'Rourke's weight category light, light middleweight isn't in the Olympics she'll either have to go down to welterweight or up to up to middleweight where her sister is mm. so there's a high chance Lisa O'Rourke won't even be at the Olympics this could be the greatest achievement of her amateur boxing career and it wasn't shown and yeah. for some people the Olympics are the be all and end all but for a lot of boxers. This is this is a great achievement. Like you look at someone like Eric Donovan, his greatest achievement in boxing, certainly as an amateur, was winning a European bronze medal back in 2010. And uh, you know that was there was a bit of that shown on TV, and that's a great achievement. He didn't get to go to the Olympics, but at least he you know he has that moment that he's proud of, and it was shown. And I think it's disappointing for the boxers of today that they're not really getting that screen time, especially when there se- there seems to be a flavor. Uh, there seems to be you know kind of a. You've seen a lot of hockey now and you've seen a lot of gymnastics yeah. and there's obviously so much rugby and GAA shown, but other sports that are doing quite well. I know you you guys down in Cork love your rowing as well, and, but the, the <laughs> rowing championships will be on and, yeah. and rightly so, you know, because we're good at it and we will win medals, but same as boxing, but boxing is not. Mm, exactly. Actually, just speaking uh, of Katie Taylor, I um, talked during the week that Holly Holm would be her next opponent, possibly in Croke Park, which would be slightly underwhelming, I think, would it? I don't know. I, I think I think she could. I think she could go up against a stuffed animal at Crow Park, really, and it would <laughs> it would sell, there, like yeah. you know. Absolutely, I think this is a this is a homecoming. I don't think I don't think there's even any need to see. It, it works well for Katie Taylor's team to flag that there's other opponents interested in this fight. Serrano's going to want another piece of Katie Taylor. Yeah. Uh, they had such a great fight, but Serrano's going to say, "Well, I don't come cheap. If you want me to go to Ireland to take on Katie Taylor in this massive stadium fight, here's what I want." And mm-hmm. I'm sure Jake Paul. Her YouTuber promoter person is, uh, I'm sure he's, you know, a tough act in negotiations because he's playing with a strong hand, you know. Mm. 
so that it's it's in their interest to say, well, you know, we don't need you. We've got Holly Holm. We've got others. We could do Natasha Jonas again. We could do a lot of fighters again. So it'll be a tricky game. But to bring us back to uh, what next for Spike, wouldn't that be a good way for him to go out of to go out of boxing if he wants to do it? He's got good ties with Eddie Hearn, Katie Taylor's promoter. If Spike could land himself a shot or fight with somebody on the Crow Park bill, that'd be a good time. That'd be a good option for him, wouldn't it? If because I'm sure he's going to insist, I'm going to keep fighting. It'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? It'd be absolutely yeah, fantastic I'm sure to see him there. Busloads from Cork. You'd bring a crew, would you? <laughs> We'd give it a go anyway. <laughs> yeah. It'd be fantastic. Uh, Kev, thanks for talking to us, buddy. Greatly appreciate it. Cheers, Rory. Always oh, a pleasure to talk to Kev Byrne of the Irish Sun, one of the most knowledgeable, if not the most knowledgeable person in the country uh, on the sport of boxing. So it's a pleasure to talk to, to Kev today. And yeah, look, disappointment for Spike last night. You can certainly hold his head high. What a performance it was against Lara. And yeah, uh, on the undercard of uh, the Katie Taylor bout in Croke Park, I'd love to see Spike on that. Uh, plenty of opponents there for him as well, as Kev was mentioning. So yeah, watch this space. I'm not entirely sure. Um, as I said, I think Katie fighting Holly Home would be just a bit of a whatever. I mean, like, as Kev said, he's still going to sell out um, Croke Park, and no matter who her opponent is. Um, but uh, you'd love to see the rematch. You'd absolutely love to see the rematch. But look, if it's Holly Home, it's Holly Home, and we'll be all in Croke Park cheering on uh, Katie, and hopefully. Spike as well. All right, still to come on the show, we are going to talk to the Cork Senior and Intermediate Camogie Managers. We're going to talk uh, Skeena Skull, a big week for Cork Schools this week. And we are going to talk with Manchester United Legends game coming up at Turners Cross. The Big Red Bench. Game on. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Nottingham Forest back in the Premier League. They've had a 1-0 win over Huddersfield in the Championship Playoff Final. And Derry won their first football title, also football title, since 1998. My beloved Derry, I should say, uh, since uh, 1998 as uh, they beat Donegal today by two points after extra time 116 to 114 uh, going to uh, talk about the games now a uh, big week for Ski and the Skull as um, their uh, Camogie and Hurling finals take place this week and uh, into next week in Parky Rin and in Parky Cueve as well always a massive moment um, in um, the, uh, the the primary school uh, education and I suppose primary school journey of Cork kids so I remember um, being part of uh, the Gwilt 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 team way back in the day uh, as we won Skeena Skull down in Parky Cueve and it's going to be a big week uh, for these kids as well their PRO is Seamus O'Connor and I got a chance to speak to him Alright, there's a busy time ahead for Skeena Skull with 29 matches taking place over the next week and a bit delighted to be joined by Seamus O'Connor, our good pal. Seamus, how are you, sir? Thank you, Rory, for having me on, as always. Great support and we really appreciate it. It's great to have you back on, boy. Um, Tell us, um, it's a massively busy time. I'd imagine it's all hands to the pump at this point. It is. um, So, Rory, our our Allianz Skeena Skull Hurling and Camogie finals are are starting next Monday, the 30th, and they're basically taking place um, for three days in Parky Ring next week and the following week after Bank Holiday from Wednesday the Wednesday the 8th until Friday the 10th in Parky Cueve so look we're immensely proud to get into both stadiums and we're appreciative of, of the county board's backing of our games um, I suppose it's fantastic that we're we're so busy we're, we'll take it with two hands I suppose schools <laughs> and every part of of, the, of Ireland has been under pressure for the last three years to have a bit of normality in relation to day to day activities and I suppose for us in schools the big thing here in Cork has been our school activities and not being able to play them so we recommenced on the 1st of March 
March and I suppose the, the month beforehand we were concerned would we have a lot of schools uptaking and, and taking part because you know it's, it's it's very difficult to reinstigate these games when you know there's so many other things going on in schools that you have to focus on but thankfully all of our schools came back um, with the result that we now have 29 finals which is our largest um, finals for a number of years uh, certain schools came back in this year that wouldn't have been playing and um, I suppose we're delighted to have nearly 800 children playing over two weeks in, in Parky Ring and Parky Grieve yeah, as as we discussed in the show, I suppose skiing the skull is a massively important part of kids and their, their primary school experience. For them not to have that for the last couple of years must have been particularly tough. It has been, and it, I, I, look, there are children that have, you know, the skiing the skull is and the, the games is their most part, important part of school because you know academically or otherwise, they, you know, it's it's not focused for them, and we're deeply aware of that, and that's why look, there's 411 schools in Cork, and nearly 400 schools are taking part in games throughout the country, the county. We've a massive um, resource there uh, in relation to not only have we the central competitions here around the city, we have four regions um, for. Um, carried down West Cork North Cork and Duhallow who are also playing finals at the minute so we estimate that in total six and a half thousand children have played in our games here in the city in the hurling of the Camogie Championship and throughout all of our regions we've over 9,000 children taking part so that alone indicates the level of need there was to get the games back up and running um, and I note in our four regional areas our West Cork are playing their finals in Dunmanway on the 2nd of June um, and they've had a tremendous uptake again in entry for, for theirs um, North Cork the same in Mallow and Duhallow played their finals last week in Rathcool and again they had 17 schools taking part and over 40 schools in general so look Rory we know the, the indent that Shkina Skull has on the on the school calendar um, and that's why we work really hard to try and get a good product and, and get them to the big you know into Parky Ring and Parky Creeve for their finals again just to say any members of the any members of the uh, sport uh, sporting family here in Cork who wish to come to either of those days like the, the styles of be open there's no need to buy tickets you can just come in and for anyone to, there's five games a day basically and for anyone who's anyway interested in court GA it's you know it's a credit to the children and a credit to the schools and the parents to go there and just to see the atmosphere that the schools create and the, the intent and the willingness that the children show when they're playing and ultimately there is huge levels of sportsmanship as well you'll note that you know that the, the children are hugely respectful of each other and the referees and uh, you know we're very lucky we never have any problems we haven't had any problems this year either in relation to you know consternation after matches or anything where you know mm-hmm. so um it's just to emphasize how important this element of the school calendar is for schools throughout the county and for the kids to be able to play in Porky and Porky Cueve it's just a massive moment for them it is very very special Rory and look you know and I know we meet people who of course the, the, across the year will tell us of their memories of playing in Skeena Skull or Skeena Skull finals um, we're also privileged that the Munster uh, Munster GA Council uh, supports the primary game activities again this year during the Munster Hurling and, and Football Championships so we've had over 90 children representing the Allianz Primary School um, teams at half time of the matches and again that's been a tremendous success and you know the children really you know have get get a chance and a taste of what it's like to play in front of a large crowd 20 and 30,000 so uh, you know even to play in Parky Ring and Parky Creep generally we have three and 4,000 spectators there every day and mm. it's very rare that children at 11 and 12 get to have that opportunity um, and it's definitely something to remember and look again we're immensely proud of the cooperation that we've received not only from the county board but also from the media across Cork in relation to our games look we are one of the largest sporting organisations full stop in the county when you think that as I said we've over 9,000 participants in the last three months in our games so 
you know that but that is recognised in the level of support and, and publicity that our game's getting we're, we're deeply proud of that So the game's getting underway on Monday and it's going to be fairly non-stop I suppose for the next week in a bit Yeah yeah, Rory, just to, and thank you for, for introducing, introducing the, the, the transfer plug there. So it starts on Monday the 30th at 10am in Parky Ring and it goes Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday next week. Um, the game starts at 10am 10, at, at 10 and there's five games a day and then the following Wednesday the 8th until Friday the 10th in Parky Cueve and the same. The game starts at 10 o'clock and there's five games a day. It's camogie and hurling and I suppose again we're another element that we always recognise is the fact that you know Skeena Skull orchestrates the games for both the girls and the boys um, and you know we're small but unique in that in, in the, the GA spectrum so it just shows that you know um, we're, we're very keen to get as many children playing all of our games across all of the codes um, and it just and again just to emphasise if anybody wishes to come and, and watch the games even if you don't have a child playing you're more than welcome and I'm, you won't be disappointed it's it's a really really enjoyable occasion Seamus as always a pleasure very very best of luck uh, with the big week ahead Thank you Rory and again thanks for the support Seamus O'Connor there of Skeena Skull ahead of uh, their Camogie and Hurling Finals which get underway this week. We are going to talk Camogie now and a big win for Cork yesterday over Clare. 2.17 to 2.5 was how it finished in the All-Ireland Senior Camogie Championship, the Glen Dimplex All-Ireland Senior Camogie Championship at Porky Rain. The Cork boss is Matthew Toomey. Jur has been speaking to him. Delighted to be joined on the line here on the Big Red Bench now by the Cork Senior Camogie Manager, Matthew Toomey, following his side's successful uh, Glen Dimplex All-Ireland Championship win over Clare 217-25 at a Sunkiss parking ring on Saturday evening. Uh, first of all, Matthew, congratulations on the victory. Uh, a side that has given you plenty of trouble in your previous two meetings. Does this victory and does this performance suggest Cork have been, the steady improvement that you've been looking for is, is, is happening? Um, hi, John. Um, yeah, I suppose there's, there's an element to that, Hollies. Um, there's, there's certainly improvement there. Like um, the month of final, we were down a couple of the players and we didn't want to show our full hand either. Um, so, look, we, I think we got a lesson off them that day. Um, yesterday's game, like, I, I think we were just, you know, like the scoreline just, it definitely justified. Like we were very, very good at patches, to be fair to them. Um, clear the five weeks on the bounce you could see after about 15 minutes they were very very leggy and um, I suppose we, we we took control of the game from the start like when we went in half time I think it was 1-8-4 you know it was all like when we turned on half time um, started the second half and we got another goal so the game was kind of as good as gone and um, we played very well in patches like there was another good few scores that we left behind us um, but look you, you have to be overall I have to be very very happy with us um, yeah, the progression number one, but the, the result just get the three points on the board, like we're top of the group, which is what we want to do. Like, and you know, that was the, the aim for going under. It wasn't after I suppose the the most of final it wasn't the most kind of um, relaxing environment going into that game because we knew what we we're going to get off. Mm. Yeah, and look, looking at the score, like Amy O'Connor, we don't need to go over again how great a player she is. Two five is a fantastic return. We've spoken about her on the bench before, but from your point of view, the the spread of scores uh, in the rest of the team—that's something that must please you as well from the attacking point of view. It was very pleasing. Yeah, we had a big spread of scores. Um, I think five or six well starting score, um, but it was just the, the manner that the scores, like a lot of stuff we're doing in the training field, kind of came go yesterday. You know, just you know, starting to come right at the right time. Um, there's an awful lot of work on and create spaces for players um, 
and getting players, the right players on the ball and you know that that worked very very well yesterday so yeah definitely you know Amy but did well but like, the, the players outside Laura Hayes Laura Tracy Saoirse like Ashley Thompson putting a ferocious shift again um, Fiona Keaton is excellent you know so just mm. across the board and, and to be fair Ashley Egan was thrown in the deep end uh, missed the inside full back and you know she had an outstanding game yeah, I was going to ask about that your defence especially um, I mean you're, you're restricting a team that had scored quite a few points in your previously down to 1-6 that's got to be just as pleasing as the attacking side of things and the fact that you'd may have Callan in there playing for the full match at cornerback as well um, a good sign when you can drop players in and out like that and still play well defensively yeah I, I suppose the thing that we learned from last year and from the National League I, I, I've said this before I think we need a squad Mm-hmm. And you know, there's no point. You know, the, the latter stages of this. You know, to be looking at players, who do we bring on? Like, I, I think we have a good idea. We have a good 22, 23 players. You know, we're all seasoned now at this stage, and you know, there's other girls still chopping at the best. So that's very pleasing. Um, like scoring wise, um, they got two one in the second half, and the, the point was from a free. The two goals we were extremely disappointed, but they were very, very uncork like goals to concede. But you know, it's it, it's it's no harm at the same time just to kind of get a good kick in the backside. Mm. You know, even when you're playing well, just to kind of get a, a leveler again that we can go back into training um, Tuesday and, and, and face this on again because, look, we, we, we can't be complacent in any games. You know, they were, like as I said, they were very leggy. They were, you know, a very tired team and we should have kind of drove one on. But, like, we left them back in the game on the counter side of that. Every time they scored the goals, we went up the field straight away and the next play and got a point, which was very pleasing then. Um, how much did conditions play a role in last night's game? Because I know, like, it wasn't in the middle of the day, but still for the evening throw, and it was still quite warm, still quite, quite humid. I mean, I mean, the cardiovascular work and all the strength and conditioning that you've been doing. I mean, you must have been pleased with that return, considering the conditions. Yeah, it, look, we definitely withstood it all. Like, even to know after the game, you could see players, you know, they were, they were tired. Like, but you know, there's never a bit in them. You know, there is a ferocious amount of um, uh, strength and conditioning after going through the, like they've gone through hell. I'm hoping that the legs will kind of show this now at this stage of the, the campaign like that they, they can withstand that like whatever is thrown at them they will um, you know, as I said, like as you say we, we finished the game strong enough again which was very pleasing um, from your, Another big bonus for you uh, Matthew Sarsha McCartan getting on in the second half was uh, another player coming back from injury along with Orla Cronin who played well throughout I mean two players again um, that you're looking for you know you're trying to get them up to full fitness uh, for the latter stages of the championship hopefully w- when that time comes but seeing Sarsha come on uh, must have been pleasing Very pleasing yeah because like I think there were a lot of the games during the start of the league campaign she was a kind of a go-to player like she was mm. doing herself and Cleaning Healy were very strong and to get her back on the field last night, you know, was 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 brilliant. Um, Orla got good fifty fifty three minutes. I think into her, that's great. And like, from what I'm being told now from our medical people, that Kenny Healy's ready to go now as well. Um, and Hannah Looney is back in Ireland, so she's she's going training out tomorrow night with us, and or tomorrow night with us, and and Tuesday night with the team. So look, we we'll try and get her back up to speed as much as we can, and she'd be a handy squad player now as well. She certainly will. I mean, this is what you want, though, Matthew. Options, options off the bench, options when it comes to team selection. Are you are you feeling even at this early stage of the championship that things are starting to come together for you, notwithstanding the challenges that are still ahead? Well, I suppose what we've what we're creating is that we can change it up a bit. Like you know, we've different options. We like you know, we're, we can go A, B, or C. You know, whichever way we want to go. Um, you know, the, the different players bring different options for us, which is which is huge. Um, you know, Hannah obviously brings a different kind of a a way of playing and, and certainly Sorsha does. So, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's 
like our we, concentrate now is Dublin next weekend. We won't be, you know, looking at anything else. Like, you know, <clears throat> all other teams seem to be kind of dropping points. Um, so like it's something we don't want to do. Like we're, we're when we're in the position we're in now, we want to go straight for the semi final. You know, mm. there's, there's no point beating around the bush with that. Um, but that's that's as far as we'll be looking for is just get, trying to get a win over Dublin next weekend, and then we will be break, which will utilise as well. And then you know we want from Tipperary left, we just want to top the group. However we do it, you know we just like that's the that's the goal, and that's what we're aiming for now. Yeah, and just, you've you've answered my final question, but just on that, the fact that it's the Dubs up next, and the fact that they held tip to a draw um, in Parnell Park yesterday, I mean, this is a serious outfit again, coming good, uh, uh, you know, some decent results and some good performances. You need to repeat what you did against Clare, and if not a bit more, definitely more. Yeah, definitely more. Like they had a great win against Waterford, down in Waterford, which was a big surprise, you know, on paper. Like, but Asian seems to be doing a good job up there. Like, so yeah, definitely, you know, like Tipperary in the draw. Like, I think Tipperary were. Very lucky at the death to get the free, and um, so yeah, they're they're going to be a massive challenge again. Like you know, the, you know, like it's, it's, I suppose it's what we expected from every team. We, we were we were expecting this kind of a mm. um, a challenge from every team. So look, I, I, like as I said, like the Dublin North, they would love to have a crack off us on on next Saturday. Like so, you know, we I, I, as you said, we have to put up that fight for them. And, uh, like I don't have any doubt that the players will. It's just how much they. They'll bring to the game with them knows that is the main thing like then that that's up for us to make sure they're ready and popping. Ready and popping is right. Well you're coming off a two seventeen to two five win over Clare, you're in good uh, it looks like the, the squad is getting stronger with each passing week. So Matthew Toomey to you and the Cork Seniors, we wish you all the best next weekend against Dublin. Thanks for your time here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks for everything, Joe. Sure. That's strong conversation there with Matthew Toomey after yesterday's win over Clare. From the seniors, we go to the intermediate Jersey all been chance to the intermediate uh, Cork boss Trevor Coleman uh, as they beat Wexford yesterday. Now, delighted to be joined by the Cork Intermediate Manager, Trevor Coleman, following his side's fantastic Glen Dimplex All-Ireland Championship victory away to Wexford uh, on Saturday. 3.15 to 7 points. Sounds like a commanding performance, Trevor. Uh, first of all, congratulations. How happy were you with your players' efforts? Uh, they just, to be honest, hugely happy. You know, the first game as well was a worry about how we're going to perform and what way players are going to react. A lot of them were playing probably their first championship game with Cork at that level, you know. So we were usually, usually satisfied with the performance. And again, look, we had six, either seven forwards that scored. We're so shaking once you got one one. So our panel, our strength and depth is looking very good. And going into the game too, we had three injuries. We had uh, Efo Callan is out with concussion. Um, Daniel Carroll is out with an ankle injury and Alan Holm is out with tonsillitis so we were down a couple going into the game too which is great that we threatened it and, and that result your first game is always a big game that you, you need to get a result and it takes the pressure off a small bit even though we won't be taking our foot off the pedal but it, it definitely helps you know and it's just been away and also being on the road Trevor quite a long journey and sometimes you know with these things you know you know, you need to make sure that your players are tuned in and ready for the action and you clearly were you are up 1-9-4 to four at half time but you so, it sounds like you really kicked on in that second half yeah, we kicked on usually. And to be fair, like for the last couple of weeks, some we we've been slow starters for some reason. But we we shortened the warm up yesterday. We changed around a bit. We we let her, we we come out early. We do a warm up. We let the girls go back into the dressing room, have their own space, and we went one. We actually went one treat to no score up. So it, it seemed to work. The changing up the warm up. Look, the, the heat yesterday was unbelievable as well. So we shortened up our warm up. 
which is something we need to probably look at going forward if we're going to start that good with a short run if that's where we go but we're, look we're constantly constantly evolving constantly learning with this team where we knew with them this year so like they started like a train yesterday to be fair to them they were, they were absolutely outstanding the work rate was, was great but we saw it in training in the last couple of weeks we did after the month of final we did a hard four weeks we played a game every weekend we played a few of the senior teams we played Waterford we played Limerick uh, you know, so and and they they went well. So we knew going into the game we'd everything done. But again, if you get out in the field to play in the real championship battle, that you don't know where you are. But like it was a nightmare to last week trying to pick a team, an absolute nightmare. Mm. Like we've we 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 we've trust in every one of our panel, which which is great from our point of view. You know, I know there was a lot of goals, very very disappointed, didn't get on the first first team. But we're trying to keep trying to build in from this is this is going to be a thirty man effort all, all, over the, the full season. You know. The game's coming thick and fast. It certainly is, and you sound like you, you know the panel's clearly in a very, very good place. And like considering the quality of the players that were absent through injury, and the fact that you're still able to pick up that kind of a win is very, very encouraging. How much looking back on it, no, Trevor, did you and your management team learn from the national league, from the league campaign coming into this? We we loved a huge amount, and, and it was great. As as we kept saying every week, we every game I think in the national league we made we made uh, the, the maximum substitutions. We made the eight subs, which gave us time to view players. We released them back to their clubs then for two weeks, uh, just before we got into the nitty gritty of, of our championship run. And again, that that gave them an old break from the cock setup. It gave them a new lease of life. They came back to us fresher, and we went along. We watched all those games, and we could see that the goals they were buzzing, they were performing. But again, it's all down to performing on the day, which they did for us yesterday. We just need to need to keep that intensity up and need to keep that that attitude going. Like they're they're all fighting for positions. Like I, I can hand in half say that we have a play. We have two players for every position, and it's it's not easy to pick it. And coming from a club point of view, you are probably never in that situation. And sometimes we're in the country like that situation, but we are, which is, which is absolutely great, you know. It is, and it sounds very encouraging, and it needs to be because uh, you, you've quickly, you know, you're up and running in the first round of the championship, but you don't have much time now because uh, on the 4th of June, you face Kilkenny in Cork, which will be tough to put it mildly, but the start uh, of a run of games where you face Meath, um, and then you have uh, Kildare and uh, Derry thrown in there as well, it's not going to be easy, but how important is it that you carry this performance into, into the Kilkenny game? It's massive that we keep this this performance up, this intensity up. Because I, I believe Kilkenny seniors are playing next weekend, which is probably a bit of a hindrance to us. Because they do use a lot of their, their subs from their senior team. But again, look if we've any aspirations of winning in all Ireland or, or where we want to be uh, in August and the seventh of August, we need to be baiting these teams. But again, look, it's nothing's easy at, at this level or at the county level. So we'll have to knuckle down again for the week and look, we'll have to put in a big, big performance. I think next week against Kilkenny yes it'll help we're at home but look we played them in a the challenge game at the start of the year it was 10 million I think we played them away and uh, they're not a bad side at all you know any Kilkenny team you play is, is going to be a good team and it's going to be a tough one you know but look we, we have to have confidence and faith in our squad which we do have and look hopefully we can bring the uh, yesterday's performance into Kilkenny in Castle Road again next weekend you know Excellent stuff. Well done, Trevor Coleman, to you and the Cork Intermediates winning your opening Glen Diplex All-Ireland Championship game away to Wexford this past weekend uh, and a fantastic performance, 3.15 to 7 points. Looking ahead to that Kilkenny game, we'll be there hopefully to support you and talk to you after that as well. But for now, congratulations and well done. And thanks a million, Jeremy. Hope to see you all next weekend.
That's Trevor Coleman there, talking to me, boss, uh, speaking after their win over Wexford. Speaking to our man, Joe McCarthy, the Women in Sport podcast every Thursday afternoon on Cork's Red FM, uh, our website, redfm.ie, and you'll get that from wherever you download your podcast as well, every Thursday. It's cracking over a sport that Joe comes up with every Thursday and well worth checking out. Right, just to wrap things up on the show tonight, a uh, big uh, uh, game ahead next uh, Sunday afternoon as the Manchester United Legends roll into town to take on a Cork 11 at Turner's Cross. Four o'clock, the kick-off time for that one. Tickets are on Eventbrite. Uh, net proceeds are going to Marymount as well, so it's all for a very good cause. You're going to have the likes of Wes Brown, Danny Weber, David Maley, Martin Keith Gillespie, uh, all playing in the Man United lineup, and the Cork lineup's going to have Joe Gamble, Alan Bennett, uh, Mick Devine, among others as well, so be sure and get your tickets for that game. Uh, Mark McCarthy is the man behind it all, and uh, Aidan spoke to him. Alright, delighted to say I am joined on the line by Mark McCarthy, who has uh, organised a uh, brilliant event next Sunday at Turner's Cross. Manchester United Legends 11 versus uh, Cork 11 in aid of Marymount Hospice. Um, look, I can't imagine what it must be like to even to even organise uh, an event like this. Tell me what that process has been like. Um, so basically, three years ago I had David May over here for a charity night in aid of Marymount as well. We had a Q&A night in St. Fembarras in Toker and with a great success on the night we raised over 4,000. So I kind of went an extra step this time and we have 15 ex-players coming over and we're going to do a charity match against ex-Cork City players and it's all to help get proceeds towards Marymount Hospice which is a great charity. It started off kind of we were only going to bring a few players but now there's 15 going and David May was a great help. He assisted me to all the players to come over and Russell Beardsmore was a great help as well. They're after bringing over a squad of 15 players now so it's a week to go so the pressure is on now just get as many tickets sold and as many people to turn us across on the 5th of June to get all the money from Aaron that we can. Yeah, I suppose tell us first of all uh, a small bit about the United players that are coming over. So we have the likes of David May, Wes Brown, Lee Martin, Russell Beardsmore, Sammy McElroy who's 65, uh, uh, Danny Weber and Ben Thornley and there's another few lads as well. We also have one or two guest stars uh, from uh, Sunderland, Mickey Gray, He's trying to help them straggle along. Um, and uh, and they face a uh, Cork eleven um, made up presumably of of Cork footballing legends. And uh, tell us tell us who's going to be featuring in that squad. Yeah, on the Cork team, there's Alan Bennett, Joey Gamble, Greg O'Halloran, George O'Callaghan from all the 2005 team, and uh, you have a few recent players in Garrod Morrissey and Stephen Beatty, who are only just after leaving Cork City. And we also have a guest star on that team, Spike O'Sullivan, who is fighting later on tonight over in Brooklyn. Exactly. Hopefully, maybe yeah. uh, uh, there might be hopefully, something around uh, Spike's waist when he's walking out the tunnel. Hopefully, he can be welcomed onto the pitch now with a belt around his waist. Yeah, you said it. Absolutely, yeah. and it's a great event to be to, to be hosting this in Turner's Cross. Um, uh, you must be just delighted that you're you're involved in this, and it's for such a great cause as well. Yeah, as I said, it just started off as just one or two texts, and we were saying we get something going. And the lads in Cornish Cross have been great help as well, helping with everything that was needed and everything that has to go through to get it going. But at the moment now we have over 1,200 tickets sold and as I said, it's just more tickets we can sell, the more crowd we can get there for atmosphere on the day and then all the money then goes towards Marymount Hospice, which would be fantastic to keep the sales going. Exactly, yeah, sure. Uh, Gerard Morrissey and Beatty should be lord in this like, shouldn't they? Uh, they should be running up rings around everyone, they should. Uh, not making, not making Wes Brown like that wouldn't be too bad. 
it'll be an all right one. Yeah, all the trophies in the lads list. It'll be great to see. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's great for the kids as well, young United fans or people have families going. And I also have thirty six mas- mascots on the day who can say they walked out with Man United and Cork City legends on the day. Exactly. Nice yeah. Brilliant see. stuff. Yeah. It will be nice to see definitely. Excellent stuff, Mark. Look, we we wish you the very best of luck, and uh, like we said. Uh, let's hope as many people get down to Turner's Cross as possible on Sunday the 5th tell us uh, what time it's all kicking off and where people can get their tickets so Sunday the 5th of June at Turner's Cross at 4 o'clock the tickets are available from myself in O'Connell's Butchers at the Lock or else online on eventbrite.ie just have to search Man United Legends and it comes up one of the first searches it's 15 euro for an adult and 5 for a child you can also just buy tickets even if you're not going to go. As I said, all the money is from Mary Hospice, which is a great charity. And they need as much money as they can to help everyone inside there. Most people have relations or friends or know people in there. And they're great workers up there. And as I said, we keep pushing the sales and it'll help everyone. And it's due to be a fantastic day. And the players, they'll be in the stadium from 2 o'clock. You can come early and watch them warm up. They'll stop and take pictures and autographs there. 15 great lads coming over and the Cork lads are all going out of their way to come and help as well so it should be a fantastic day Absolutely it's a great event Mark the very best of luck and uh, like we said let's get as many people there as possible to support Marymount uh, uh, Look thanks a million for coming on the Big Red Bench and uh, yeah like you said uh, hopefully it's a great day That's it thanks very much Aidan for having me alright it's Matt McCarthy there ahead of the uh, Manchester United and uh, Cork Legends match next uh, Sunday at Turner's Cross. Uh, net proceeds are uh, going to Marymount as well, so it's all for a very good cause. But that is it from us. Thank you very much indeed for tuning our way this evening. Podcast online shortly, redfm.ie, and from wherever you get your podcasts from. Max Blackburn's up next with three hours of the best Irish music on Green and Red. Enjoy your Sunday, folks. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.